0: Hey, I'm Daniel, and welcome to the Milwaukee Chi Alpha podcast. What you're going to get from this podcast is biblical encouragement for college students in Milwaukee. And if you don't fit that description, this can still be a good listen for you. What you're about to listen to is our sermon series called "Sent." We're studying the book of Acts, the ordinary people who had an extraordinary story. with saying that I'm pretty positive that most of us here were were not born in the 20th century. And those of us who were, probably don't remember it. (laughs) And if you do, that's great. But what happened back in the 20th century with the American church, and specifically the white American church, was they faced what they felt like was a choice. Um, So they, in the end of the 20th century, so in the 60s, 70s, there was a civil rights movement, and though they heard their black brothers and sisters crying out, they felt that addressing this directly would be to the neglect of spreading the gospel, which they were really good at spreading the gospel, but they felt this choice between where they put their energy and they chose between evangelism and justice, and they chose to focus on evangelism. So I see this tension between justice and evangelism. These words, justice and evangelism, have a tension of their own. For some of us, it's with the word justice. A lot of different scenes from the news might show up. You might go to like the online world and think of social justice warriors or Twitter mobs. But that is not what I'm talking about here. For now, I'm going to use a working definition of justice is making wrong things right and doing the right thing. And then evangelism is also a difficult word for some of us. It also carries hard and awkward associations. We might picture someone standing awkwardly on the street corner saying, do you know where you're going? Or it might be more just handing out pamphlets. But that's, again, not what I'm talking about. We're going to go in the context of a verse which I'll eventually get to. And I would ask that whichever word makes you uncomfortable, that you bear with me in this, that you bear with me in this discomfort. Because they're both good and useful words to describe this tension we see in ourselves and in our churches. Some churches tend to emphasize justice, and they do that really well. They uplift the poor and the marginalized, they serve the oppressed. They empower others, and it's really beautiful. But maybe they forget a little bit more about evangelism. They almost neglect it to some extent. And then other churches, they're so good at winning people to Jesus. It's beautiful. People are coming to know him, and they love him, and they see him more clearly through them. But maybe they forget justice, like the white American church in the 20th century. And these both are necessary things, justice and evangelism. They're both important things. They're necessary to a healthy church. And we've been going through Acts, and as we've been following the early church, we see as they become the church, you know, Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's sent the Holy Spirit down. They've been empowered and filled with the Spirit. God has been adding to their numbers. In the last chapter, we saw a mess within the church. And we saw pressure from without. And we see how they handle that. They handle it really beautifully. And one of the religious leaders, who's, the religious leaders were bringing pressure from without. He had a bit of wisdom that if this movement is from God, it will be stopped. And as we see in the beginning of chapter 6, the number of disciples... Oh, that's not it. Well, anyways, the beginning of chapter 6, the number of disciples are growing. And I use the word disciples because it's different than just believers. Disciples has to do with being a learner, a follower. So they're not only just, like, abstractly believing in Jesus, but they're learning about him and obeying him. So the number of disciples is increasing. And with that, we begin to see a mess that appears familiar even to our 21st century American eyes and in our churches. So if you join me in opening the Bible, whether in print, and print Bibles are great, but, um, or on your phone because it's very convenient. So tonight we're in Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. And first, so now we're actually going to go to this. <laughs> we're going to take a slight detour because as you see, this is Acts chapter 2. Um, So we're going to just remind ourselves about a couple of things about the early church. Looking back at chapter 2, as the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival celebrated five weeks after Passover, there were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. That's a lot of nations. And I'm not going to read all the ones listed here, but you get a picture of the diversity in ethnic groups represented here. So even though... They were all Jewish. They were incredibly ethnically diverse. And this is from the very beginning. We haven't even added Gentiles into the mix yet. But we can see that there are divisions along ethnic and cultural and linguistic lines. And so, and the church was growing and showed no signs of stopping. And I think I've already said this, but along with the increase in disciples came an increase in capability for mess. So, um, if we actually can go to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, that would be great. Thank you. Um, Anyways, so in those days, as the number of disciples were increasing, we see that the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. To give farther background, The Hellenistic Jews, and your Bible might use a different term, it might say Greek-speaking Jews or Grecian Jews, but either way, it all refers to these Jews who had adopted the Greek language and culture that was common to Roman areas at the time. And they lived and were from outside of Roman Palestine, which is modern-day Israel and Palestine. Um, So they were essentially, almost to some extent, foreigners in Jerusalem, and so then you had the Hebraic Jews. The Hebraic Jews were from Roman Palestine. So they were from Jerusalem. They were even from Galilee. So they were all over, from all over, like Judea. And they spoke Aramaic and possibly Hebrew. They were the majority in Jerusalem. Jesus and most of his disciples, even though most of them were from like Galilee or Galilee, <laughs> were around, were Hebraic Jews. But to give even more background as we dig deeper, to explain the widow's plight, if we could go back and just sit there for a moment. Thank you. Um, what made their plight so serious was that in that time, it was seen as a really great thing to die in Jerusalem. So you had, actually, a lot of people that would come from outside, from the greater Roman world, and they'd go to Jerusalem to die. Particularly for men, they bring their wives. And so in Jerusalem, there was left a disproportionate number of widows. And within those widows, because back in those days, women, once their husbands died, didn't have a lot of opportunities to like, provide for themselves. And also in those days, as you got older, you relied on your family. There was no social security. There was no doing things for yourself. There was no government or anything else to take care of you. You had your family. And in this case, you also had the synagogues and the early church to distribute food. So when they were being overlooked, they had serious need. And um, specifically going back to ethnicity, the Hebraic Jews did look down on the Hellenistic Jews. They did see them as less Jewish than them because they had adapted to the places they lived in. And so when we look at this passage, and we see that the Hellenistic Jews are complaining against the Hebraic Jews because their widows are being overlooked. We can know that in some sense, it was a case of discrimination because of ethnicity. And whether it was intentional or not, it doesn't say. and probably was a case of ignorance. These widows needed that food And other things. When it says food, it's not just referring to food. It's provisions in general. So finances and also other things. So when the uh, Hellenistic Jews were complaining, they really had something to complain about. There was something wrong here. There was something that needed to be made right. And their complaining eventually reached the ears of the 12 disciples. These were men who had spent time with Jesus. They had been directly discipled by him in the flesh. They had seen him heal people, work miracles and wonders, seen him die, witnessed his resurrection. And earlier in Acts 4, we saw that people knew, and these were people who didn't like Christians, they noted that these men had been with Jesus and it had changed them. So how do the 12, these guys who had been with Jesus, respond to this mess in the church? And now we can actually go to Acts 2 through 4. Thanks. Um, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And when the twelve gathered everyone together, at least right away, if you're like me, what sticks out to you is their initial sentence. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. But There's a couple of things worth noting about this scenario. Waiting on tables was perhaps not, actually it wasn't, it wasn't the demeaning thing, that we might see it as being a waiter or waitress. And I think, like I said earlier, waiting on tables wasn't literally waiting on tables. It was like a term for essentially doing administration of food, of finances. So that in and of itself was not a demeaning thing. And then also the very fact that they called the group of disciples together gives the issue weight and concern So just that fact alone says they're paying attention, they're listening, and they're not ignoring this. They won't address this themselves because evangelism actually is their priority. This is what they're called to do. They need to spread the gospel. They need to share the news of Jesus' death and resurrection. And they have this understanding that if they handled this issue, the 12, this issue directly themselves, it would be to the neglect of the ministry of the word. But instead of trying to do everything themselves or just continuing in the ministry of the word and ignoring this issue, they call everybody together and address both directly. And through this, they delegate the solution to seven men. And then they give the power to choose these men to the disciples, to this group of people who are gathered around. Again, they're giving this weight Because they've been with Jesus and they know the Old Testament because this would have been the Hebrew Bible, would have been the Tanakh, would have been the scriptures that they knew um, because they were, again, Jewish. So they they would have grown up reading like the book of Amos and the Minor Prophets. We have this famous quote, words like, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream, which was quoted by Martin Luther King Jr., so, the 12 do not neglect justice because we see over and over that God cares about it. And because God cares, they care. I think I've already said they don't pretend there isn't an issue or that it doesn't need to be addressed. They don't brush it aside. They don't pretend that the Hebraic Jews would never do something like that. They don't make the Hellenistic Jews the problem for complaining. They don't pretend that the Hellenistic Jewish widows were to blame for their predicament. But in this, in addressing this, they stay focused on spreading the gospel and then they empower others to address this directly. And we'll see how important and seriously they're taking this because we see in the passage that they want seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. So for seeing to administrative things, finances, foods, other practical things, they want these men to be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to be led by God himself to distribute food. They are taking this seriously. And then, how do the people respond to this solution? What do they think of it? So if you can go to the next slide. Oh, the other next slide. <laughs> Great, thank you. <laughs> Um, I think as it says here, the proposal pleased the whole group and they chose their seven men. And I'm going to read the list of names, which is everyone's favorite part of the Bible, a list of names. Um, But I think it's important and we'll get to that. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenus and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And maybe what you didn't see, I think what is really hard for any of us to notice about this list, because we don't speak Koine Greek, and we're not from that time, though if you do speak Koine Greek, let me know, I would love languages and want to learn from you. (laughs) But five of the seven names listed here are Greek names. These are Hellenistic Jews they've chosen. They chose men specifically from the group that was discriminated against and gave them power and authority over the whole distribution. These men, full of the Holy Spirit and commissioned by the apostles, saw that the widows received justice, their part of the distribution, and the twelve weren't afraid that now the Hebraic widows would be neglected because they put Hellenistic Jews in charge, but they trusted them. that As they were full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, they would do what's right. And within all of this, as the 12 evangelized, as they focused on the ministry of the word and on prayer, and the seven ensured equitable distribution, so the word of God spread. So I think I have the last verse actually. If you want to move to that slide, that'd be really cool. But either way, the word of God is spreading, it's spreading among priests. Even So these are people who are religious authorities, and they're meeting Jesus. Yeah, it's in bold. (laughs) Um, The early church felt this tension, just like the 20th century American church, between seeing to evangelism and to the need for justice within their church. But they didn't choose between them. And we all have this responsibility to both evangelism and justice. Our churches have this responsibility. We as a body of Christ have this responsibility, and we at Chi Alpha also have this responsibility. Because the love of Christ compels us, we share the gospel. We evangelize. We preach the word. We pray. And he also compels us to do justice. A great opportunity to do that is coming up this Saturday to serve with City on a Hill as they work towards breaking the cycle of poverty and racial reconciliation. It's a fantastic opportunity. And here at Alpha, we talk about our three anchors a lot. And the third anchor is real responsibility. I've said that word a lot and that's because it's important here, it is real. It's a, and a phrase that encapsulates what we're called to do in this responsibility is love finds a need and meets it. And this refers to both spiritual and physical needs. And perhaps you have a passion for justice, for seeing wrong things made right, for doing right. And this justice could be social or otherwise. But you feel your church, your small group, maybe even just isn't focused enough on justice and maybe overemphasizes evangelism. They need you in your small group, in your church. They need your passion and heart. Or perhaps you're very passionate about evangelism, preaching the word. God has gifted you there. and You just love doing it, and you wonder, why isn't your church as focused on this? They're focused on justice. They need you there. They need you to share your passion, to preach the gospel. We need to have people passionate about both in our small groups, in our churches, In Chi Alpha, on a very local level, your small group leaders wonderfully demonstrate living in the tension of both of these things as they meet you in your spiritual needs via studying the Bible, praying with you and for you. Small group leaders pray for you guys when you're not around. It's amazing. And then they help meet your physical needs, whether for food. I've seen people buy others' groceries when they're in need or rides when it's not convenient for them? How can you meet people in the same way that you've been met? What needs do you see around you, both spiritual and physical? How and who will you love in the same way that you've been loved? And we know this tension is hard. We can't do it all. We just saw that it's better not to do it all. Even the 12 who spent time learning from Jesus in the flesh recognized that they themselves could not do it all. They weren't capable to do both well. And maybe you feel like you can't even do one of them well. But in this, that's why we are the body of Christ, the church. Because when we all work together towards evangelism and towards justice, we will see the world transformed to look more like Christ, who holds this tensions and embodies both fully. We'll even see the church transformed to look more like Christ, as people who are passionate about both work together and therefore will image Christ better through both. We'll look to Christ and learn and rely on Him and His strength in this. We see over and over Jesus heals people physically because he cares about our bodies and our circumstances. He heals marginalized people because he cares about the oppressed and the poor. But always he goes beyond the physical and addresses the spiritual. When in Matthew 9, 2 through 6, Jesus tells a paralyzed man his sins are forgiven, he is seeing to the greater need. This man is dead in sin. But then he also tells him, get up and walk. And the man does. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time of discussion with some questions on the screen. Because the practical aspects of this are difficult to work out in our daily lives. We saw the early church struggled with this. We saw that the white American 20th century church struggled with this. And I'm sure we see all in our own churches and communities that they still struggle with this. So, we need to work this out together in community centered on Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for sending your spirit and empowering us. Thank you for your example of how you meet us in spiritual and physical need and empowering us to work together to reach others. I pray that you would bless our discussion, that we could. Love those around us fully, both in their spiritual and physical needs. In your name, Jesus, amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at MilwaukeeXA to keep up to date on our events and services. Or stop by Bolton Hall Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. in room B40.